Laura is the daughter of a very dear friend of mine. And earlier this year, Laura and her husband moved to England. He is now being stationed there. They're going to be there for three years. To me, that's a, that's a grand adventure. To live in a country where you already know the language, but yet every weekend you can you know, travel all over Europe. I just think that's, that's, I'm living vicariously through her. She is learning to make some friends there. It's, it's been a little bit of a struggle for her. She is teaching yoga on the Air Force Base to the families um, that are there, and she's playing piano in a local church. But she's, she's struggling with some of the adjustments. Houses in England are a lot smaller than houses here, and there's, there's no storage in there. And she's, she, they're driving this little itty bitty tiny nondescript car, very, very plain car. And she's having to navigate this life between the U.S. military and the British government. And one thing she has learned is that you need a coat in June, and her Texas winter coat is a jacket by British standards. And so she is learning how not to just live in another country. She's learning how to thrive in a foreign land. Last week we talked about the northern kingdom of Israel falling into exile, being exiled by Assyria in 722 or 721 B.C. Shortly after that, Babylon conquered Assyria. So now Babylon is, is the big guys in the area. And shortly after that, Babylon set its sights on the southern kingdom of Judah. And Babylon did conquer Judah, but, but the exile in Judah happened in waves. It didn't happen all at once. It happened in waves. And the first one started in 598 B.C. And what happened was, was that the temple was stripped of all of its gold, and the city of Jerusalem lay in ruins. And similar to the way the Assyrians do exile, Babylon, Babylonians did about the same thing. They would take the people out of Judah that could influence national identity. So they took the governmental leaders, the religious leaders, the priests, some of the prophets, not all of them. They took the artisans, they took the rich and the powerful, and they forced them out of Judah and relocated them to another area that Babylon had conquered, leaving behind the poorest of the poor in Jerusalem and in Judah. And then they would take people from other foreign nations that they had conquered and sent them into Judah. So now at this point, God's chosen people, the vast majority of them, are not living in the promised land. They have been placed into exile into Assyria and now Babylon. And what you have left in the promised land are the poorest of the poor of the Israelites and powerful people from other nations have settled in. And so we have two more waves of this happen with Babylon onto Judah until ultimately everything, including the temple in Jerusalem, is demolished right around 586 B.C. Our text this morning is written by Jeremiah, and he is a prophet living in Judah, in Jerusalem, after that first wave. And so he has seen a lot of his kindred and a lot of his, his country folk head out into exile, and he has seen the temple just, well, not raised down to the bottom. That hasn't happened yet, but it's been stripped of everything. And so what he's surrounded by is a city in ruins, in a temple that really isn't going to function as a temple 
anymore. And so for Jeremiah and the exiles, they are asking these questions. Well, how do we worship God now? How are we still God's chosen people? What are we supposed to do now? And in our text from Jeremiah, we have some answers. God tells the exiles to build homes and to live, to plant gardens and to eat, to marry off their sons and daughters, to continue to multiply, to continue to grow. To me, that doesn't sound like just living in a foreign land. That doesn't sound like just surviving in a foreign land. That sounds like thriving, thriving in this foreign land. God is telling the Israelites to thrive while in exile. Don't do the minimum required. Don't do the absolute least you can do. Increase, don't decrease. Continue to multiply and grow. Thrive in exile. At its simplest, most basic form, exile is an unexpected circumstance in which we find ourselves. That's really what an exile is. It's just something we haven't encountered before. Something may have happened around us that we did not expect that led us to a place we we haven't seen before. Something may be happening around us that we just don't understand or we can't control. Or maybe we actually did make a choice, but then the outcome led us someplace we weren't expecting. So how do we experience exile today? Layoffs, transfers, job losses, relocation, government shutdown, divorce, abuse, illness, aging, fractured families. All of these are types of exiles because it puts us into foreign territory. And in some cases, it really is enemy territory, to say the truth. And there are people sitting in this room right now that are living in exile. There are people in this congregation that are living in exile. Maybe you have a loved one who is in an abusive situation. Maybe you yourself or a loved one is battling an illness or a disease with an unknown outcome. Maybe maybe your family is hurting and and starting to to fracture at different lines and, and, and not getting along with each other. Maybe you are estranged from your own aging body. You don't even recognize your body anymore. Maybe you're navigating a new relationship with parents who are aging. We experience exile today. So then the question becomes, how can we not just survive it, but how can we thrive when we are in exile. And I want us to take a look at some of the things that Jeremiah tells us that God is doing and what we can do to thrive when we are in those exiles. The first thing that we see that Jeremiah says is that God is listening to the exiles. That God listens to the exiles. That sounds weird to the Israelites because to them, God's house was the temple. That's where God was. Now, they understood that God was with them, but how are you going to worship when you don't have a place to worship? How is God going to listen to us when we don't have the priests praying on our behalf? How is this going to work? 
How is this going to happen? With what God is telling the Israelites, I'm still listening. In fact, I'm already there. I'm already in that foreign territory. I've gone ahead of you. And not only have I gone ahead of you, I've walked with you from Jerusalem to Babylon. God has not left them and God listens. That's why we read a different creed this morning because it started with we are not alone. We live in God's world. We are not alone. None of us are alone. God is always with us and God is always listening. This is God's world. That means that God... God's in Babylon. God is in the foreign lands. God is in these areas that we've been forced into we don't want to be a part of. But God is already there. The scripture also tells us that we are to call out and to pray to God. It says, when you call upon me and pray to me, I will hear you. This is a congregation that believes in the power of prayer. We believe that prayer makes a difference. We believe that prayer matters. We ask for guidance. We ask for wisdom. We ask for healing. We pray for other people because it makes a difference. And so God is telling the, to, telling the exiles, go ahead and keep praying. Keep calling out to me. I'm going to listen. The scripture also says, when you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me with all all your heart. Now that's deep vulnerability. That is deep submission. That is deep obedience. That is really going to God with absolutely everything we have. That's a lot. And that's what we're talking about. Today is Christ the King Sunday. Today is the last Sunday in the Christian calendar year. Because next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, if you can believe that. It's coming next week. That marks the beginning of a new Christian calendar year. So we're in the last Sunday of this Christian calendar year, which means all of our worship, all of our singing, all of our praying has led us to this point, that Christ is the King. For us to say, Christ is Lord. You've heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it again because it's worth repeating. My favorite definition of the word Lord is the one who calls the shots in our lives. So for Christ to be king, for Christ to be Lord, is for us to allow Christ to call the shots in our lives. And today on Christ the King Sunday, great day to ask, am I really doing that? Do I really allow Jesus Christ to call the shots in my life? Do I really recognize Jesus as my Lord and my King? If we seek Christ with all of our heart, then Christ is Lord and King. And for Christ to be Lord and King means we want to go Him with everything that we have and everything that we are, which is all of our heart. Seek Christ with all of your heart and you will find Him. Now for me, Jesus is not that hard to find. I, I have no problem finding Jesus really, really easily. But it's that deep obedience, that deep giving everything to Christ that I have a little bit of trouble with sometimes. And it, it paused me to think about this this morning. If I'm not coming to Christ with all of my heart, then what Christ am I finding? 
Am I finding just a little bit of Jesus and not all of Jesus? Those times in our lives when we do find ourselves allowing Christ to be fully Lord in our life, that may be where we are finding the richness of Christ and what it means for Christ to be Lord and King. And so this, this is the question I'm going to ponder. How much of my heart am I bringing in that seeking out of Christ? Our scripture this morning is telling us to thrive in exile. It says that God is listening, that we are to call upon God and to pray, and that we are to seek Christ with all of our hearts. But what is it that we're supposed to pray for? What is it when we find ourselves in exile that we're supposed to pray for? I think the, the answer here in Jeremiah is very, very interesting. It says, pray for the city and its welfare, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Well, that word welfare in Hebrew is the word shalom. And it is one of those wonderful, wonderful Hebrew words that's so rich with nuance and, and meaning that it just cannot be translated into English. You may have heard shalom translated as peace. Well, that's only a little bit of it. What it actually is, is this holistic, whole body peace and healing that is pervasive into every piece of our lives. Every bit of our lives experience this holistic peace that comes from God. But God is saying to pray for the welfare of the city. Is God really telling the Israelites to pray for Babylon? That's exactly what God is telling them to do. Really? Are you sure about that? Actually, yes. Because if things go well with the people who are holding you, then your welfare is going to be better. All right, now wait a minute. I don't want to pray for the thing that has placed me in exile. Am I actually asking all of you to pray for that thing that's causing you stress and harm and illness and pain? Am I actually asking you to pray for your captor? Yeah. That's what God is telling the Israelites to do through, this, through Jeremiah. I don't want to pray for that. I get it. It's hard. It's not easy. It takes practice. It takes patience. I get it. But think about it. Nothing will loose the chains of your captor more than praying for your captor. And nothing will heal your hurt, your burden, your bitterness, your pain, or your illness like shalom in your heart. Yeah, I'm asking you to do something hard. Actually, I'm not. God is. What is that thing that has placed you in exile? Can you pray for it? If not, ask somebody to pray for it until you can. Pray for that. Shalom. I want everybody to listen to me very, very closely now. I want to make sure I've got everybody's attention with what I'm about to say next because this is very, very important. This passage in Jeremiah is not telling you to stay in the pain. Praying for the pain is not the same thing as staying in the pain. If you are in an abusive, hostile, hurtful situation, this passage is not telling you to stay in it. This passage is telling you to pray. 
pray for strength. Pray for the strength to walk out of that abusive, harmful, hostile situation or relationship. Are we clear on that? That's not what this passage is saying. It's not saying to stay. It's saying to pray. Today's scripture is telling us how to thrive in exile. It's telling us that God's already there and that God listens. It's telling us to call upon God and to pray to God. It's telling us to seek Jesus with all of our heart, and it's telling us to pray for that which holds us in exile. But there's something else. There's one more thing I want us to see in this passage today. And it's a line of scripture you may know, or you may know half of it by heart. I know the plans I have for you, plans for your shalom and a future with hope. Why would God say that? Well, what God's saying there is your exile is temporary. This exile in Babylon is temporary, and I'm going to come and I'm going to bring you home, and I'm going to fulfill that promise. And God does just that. God does just that. God is with you in your exile, and not only that, God is already on the other side of that exile. And God knows the plans that God has for you. Notice that that word is plural. And notice that the future has hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our King. God is telling the exiles to thrive, to thrive while in exile, to listen because God speaks, to call upon God and to pray, and to pray for those who have placed you in exile because that is where you will find that deep-seated holistic shalom, that peace. And God's saying, Go with all of your heart and know, place your future in that hope. Well, that which we seek with all of our hope, all of our heart is our hope. That which we seek with all of our heart in Jesus Christ is our hope. Our hope is in the Lord and the King. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.